tonight we are back in Isaiah. Last heard from Isaiah a couple weeks ago, two Wednesdays ago. Uh, so we're back in it. Here we go. This is Hineni, Hineni, or you must have meant someone else, or here we are, there he is. There is a story in Genesis about Abraham being asked to kill his own son. It begins, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God tells him to go with his son, his only son, whom he loves, to a mountain in Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. And so Abraham takes the fire and the knife and goes up. And on their ascent, his son, his only son, whom he loves, says, Dad. And Abraham says, here I am. And Isaac asks him about what the sacrifice would be, and Abraham says, God will provide, and he binds his son to the altar. And just as he raises the knife, a messenger calls out, Abraham, Abraham, and he says, here I am. And in that moment, Abraham sees what kind of God God really is. There's another story in Exodus about Moses walking by a bush on fire, which is not an uncommon thing in the desert, but Moses stops to pay attention to this thing long enough to notice that while the bush is definitely on fire, it's also definitely not burning up, which is uncommon. And the text says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And Moses goes on to lead a people to freedom, and so begins a whole nation's love affair with God. There's another story in 1 Samuel about a boy named Samuel. One night Samuel is asleep, and suddenly moves from a sleeping dream to a waking one. When he hears his name called, the Lord says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel says, here I am. And the Lord gives Samuel a very hard thing to say to his father, Eli, and Samuel lays there the rest of the night, staring at the ceiling. The next day, Eli calls for Samuel, and Samuel says, here I am. Eli then asks what the Lord told Samuel last night, and Samuel bravely keeps nothing back. And the text says that then Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And the first in a long line of prophets was born. Why am I telling you these stories? What do these stories have in common? Did you hear it? Here I am. Here I am. Can anyone think of another story where we've heard here I am, one we've spent quite a bit of time with already this semester. Somebody's whispering. Here I am said me. Who said that? I bet I mean who said it? Elizabeth said that. Good job, Elizabeth. You pass. Who said that? Isaiah. Isaiah said it. Isaiah, our prophet, sees the Lord high and lifts it up. He hears a voice say, Who whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And barring perhaps Moses, the greatest prophet in the Hebrew scriptures is born. This phrase, here I am. In Hebrew is hineni. Say it with me, hineni. The emphasis is on the middle syllable, hineni. Literally it means, look here, me. 
look here, me, but it means more than merely like, I am located in this spot. It's more than just like a roll call response of present. When someone speaking Hebrew says, hineni, what they're communicating is, I am all here. I am fully attendant to you. Whatever it is you need, whatever it is you want, I am fully present to it. Whatever it is you are doing, I am here to do whatever I can to make it happen. Kind of like, at your service. Hineni, presenting your whole self. And there aren't many stories in the scripture where we get this phrase. I actually just told you most of them. It's uncommon, and it packs this powerful punch. Abraham, the patriarch, Moses, the deliverer, Samuel, the first prophet, Isaiah, the great prophet. Each of them, in wherever they find themselves, they're standing on the edge of some big thing, some great thing. And each says, Hineni. And then something big happens. I'm all here, Hineni. Whatever it is you need, whatever it is you want, I'm fully present to it, Hineni. Whatever it is you're doing, I am here to do whatever I can to make it happen, Hineni. Say it one more time. Hineni. It reminds me of something Annie Dillard wrote. She said, at a certain point you say, now I am ready. Now I will stop and be wholly attentive, Hineni. Which, if we're being honest, isn't the attitude we normally take when presenting ourselves to God. Which brings me to painting a house. At CCF, we have a board of directors, this shadowy syndicate <laughs> pulling the strings behind the scenes. Our president is Brent. Between board meetings, which happen four times a year, we have a prayer buddy board member gets paired with a staff person with whom we check in periodically over those few months to see how we can be praying. Right now, Brent is my buddy. And he emailed me last week to check in. And here's part of my response. The thing prayer-wise is just money stuff. We're well provided for, we dense, and have what we need, but we've had a number of bigger expenses lately, and you know how it can be when things are a little tighter. I was kind of vague. I was a little too self-editing and poised to say what, what, what it was that I actually meant, which was, more money would be nice. We are painting our house. Paint is stupid expensive. If other things we measure by the gallon cost what paint costs, society would collapse and the world would come to an end. <laughs> the sale price before sale price on the paint we bought. I'm just going to tell you this to my shame. $75 a gallon. More money would be nice. At, at Dent Manor, it's not just the painting going on either. We've taken on a number of other projects. New doors, new gutters, remodeling part of the basement. More money would be nice. This is what I was asking for in my prayer email. This kind of prayer, which at its worst reduces God to a kind of cosmic vending machine, isn't necessarily anti-Hineni, but it's definitely not Hineni. 
It's not, here I am, whatever it is you need or want, I am fully present to it. It's more, are you there, God? Great, I need something. It's, please give me what I need and what I want so I can get on with my life in relative comfort. I need guidance, I need health, I need a friend, I need paint. Some of them more trivial, some of them less trivial. And hear me, of course, it is fine for us to cast every care on God and present our many petitions to him. In him, we live and move and have our being. We, like all of creation, look to God for what we need. When Jesus says, you have not because you ask not, that implies that asking is a part of the deal. But is it all we ever do? Am I only ever asking for paint? What does how I do prayer say about who I think God is? And what does it say about what I think my life is? What my life is about? Stuff? Getting stuff to like make it? At a certain point, have I ever stopped and said, Hineni? At CCF, we fast sometimes, as you heard about. For some of you, this practice of fasting is totally foreign. Especially if you're a freshman, I would bet a number of you just, it's like if you didn't grow up Catholic, you're probably not fasting. It sounds weird, fasting, and antiquated, like something for folks living in monasteries out in the desert, that's what they do. I know that I, when I came here as a freshman, I had never once considered fasting from anything for a day in my life. And then I got to Truman, and I discovered CCF. And honestly, it was weird for me. They were like, we're going to go three days without eating. Why? <laughs> and then I got into the practice, and it became something that I loved. And I encourage you to give it a try. I really do. I encourage you to give it a try. Because for us, it is one way of trying to say hineni. Lately, what fasting looks like at CCF is what you heard about, this week-long media fast. Instead of abstaining from food for seven days, we turn off whatever media uh, we feel God is asking us to turn off. Video games, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, any of it, all of it. Some folks, you'll find, they set, just, they, they set stricter um, screen time limits for the week. Some will remove apps from their phone entirely. This is what I did. I had some social, this is years ago. I had some social media deleted from my phone. It never came back. Some uh, will just decide to like turn off their phone and throw it at a drawer and try to forget about it for a week. My recommendation, think about what feels difficult to you. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt and do what's difficult. You can do it. And there will be part of you that will be like, well, yeah, like, no video games except if I'm with my roommates because it's a community thing. And I'm like, you're always with your roommates. Like, you're, that's what you're always doing anyway. You're just giving yourself a pass to keep playing video games. Oh, well, like, I'm only going to watch TikTok if it's, like, while I'm eating a meal. And then your meal is, like, 45 minutes long of just watching TikTok. Okay, you can do the difficult thing. And hear me, you won't die. You may need to notify some people ahead of time that you're turning off, but I promise you, the media fast won't kill you. It won't. 
And to go along with turning things off individually, we have some community-wide events, which you saw. Lots of fun things. Lunch with scripture, prayer labyrinths, hot tea, warm reads, worship night. Um, we're starting this this next week, in case you missed that in the announcement, on Monday. Um, we, we like to use the men's and women's retreats to kind of prime the pump for media fasting, because you're probably going to be away from media for a lot of that weekend anyway. Um, and that sheet of paper, you got it? Yeah? You find the schedule there. Um, you can also, uh, aside from those community things going on, you can use your imagination and you can come up with things with your roommates and your friends, some like in-person analog type things. Use your creativity. You'll find that it might be flourishing when you turn off YouTube and TikTok for a week. The options are endless. You could stargaze, you could write letters, you could pray together by candlelight, you could put on a play. Like you can, you can do many things. Give yourself the credit. Actually, I want to take a minute now, and I want to give you like one to two minutes, and just with the people right around you, tell them what you're thinking about media fasting. What are you thinking you're going to fast from? What are the things you're going to try to participate in? Ready, set, go. Chiefs fan, he was like, I think I might need to turn off First Things First for a week. And I was like, you should do it. And he goes, but then how will I know that I really like the Chiefs? <laughs> Who am I? Life can be very good off of devices. Media fast is good. It's not forever, but it's good. Which is why it's going to sound weird when I kind of start bashing fasting here in a second. <laughs> well, not me. Isaiah. Not me. So let me just say again, before we get into what Isaiah has to say, the media fast is good. It's one of my favorite things that we do here. It's, uh, it's like in a time just full of screens, switching off is a revolutionary act. So let's do it. But let me also say that Isaiah doesn't really want us to pat ourselves on the back too much or let ourselves, let ourselves off the hook here from Isaiah 58. In your fast day, you found pleasure while your, all your affairs you pursued yeah, you're kind of just still going about things the same way. For quarrel and strife, you fasted, and to strike with a wicked fist, your fasting this day will not make your voice heard on high. Will like this be the fast that I choose? The day a man afflicts himself to bow his head like a reed and bed down in sackcloth and ash? Is it this that you call a fast and a day pleasing to the Lord? If this at all sounds to you like what we heard from Isaiah 1 a couple of weeks ago, uh, you're listening well. 
where we heard this. Why need I all your sacrifices, says the Lord? They have become a burden to me. I cannot bear them. And when you spread your palms, I avert my eyes from you. Though you abundantly pray and fast, I, I do not listen. I don't care. Here again, we have Isaiah reigning on our God parade, on our religious parade, saying, God, he's not impressed by your so-called God thing. Sacrifice, prayer, fasting, raising up your hands and worship, the whole thing. They've actually become exhausting. And I don't want to preach that sermon entirely over again. I was talking with Leanne about this. I was like, I feel like it's just going to be the same sermon all semester. And she's like, well, if Isaiah has to say it a hundred times. <laughs> so I don't want to preach that whole sermon over again, but let me remind you briefly, or remind you by briefly quoting myself, forgive me, <laughs> what I said two weeks ago, what I said two weeks ago. I can quote myself because I manuscript these things. That's why it's called a quote. <laughs> what we often miss is that justice and worship, which now includes fasting, are inextricably tied together in the mind of the prophets. There is no such thing as worship if you're singing on Sunday but not looking out for the marginalized and lonely and outcast and vulnerable at any other time. This is God saying any traditions of worship, fasting, that are not attended by justice for the orphan and the widow and the foreigner and the poor are meaningless and God wants nothing to do with meaningless gestures. So, here in Isaiah 58, the prophet is saying, so you fast. Great. Was your fasting just for you? Do you think that just because you go without some food or your phone, first things first, not to pick on you, it's very hard, but do you think just because you go without the Chiefs or go without Taylor Swift or go without whatever it is that you love online, do you think that God is impressed by your abstinence? Do you think that just because you act seriously and do the cool revolutionary act of a screen-free week, God will be pleased? Why are the people fasting to begin with in Isaiah 58? It's likely that this chapter of Isaiah was written not before the people were forced out of their homeland by an evil empire like we talked about a few weeks, but actually after they have come back home. Robert Alter writes this. Scholarship incoming alert. Communal fasts were instituted in times of crisis. For example, during a famine or a plague, members of the community not only refrained from eating, but also adopted mourning practices, such as the wearing of sackcloth and the sprinkling of ashes on the head. The underlying idea was that such practices of mortification would engage the compassion of the deity and the disaster would end. If all of that sounds too scholarly and technical and boring for you, the idea is this. Are you there, God? We need something. We need food. We need health. Save us from this social media sand trap. We need paint. More money would be nice. But it didn't work. The people are quoted in Isaiah 58 as saying, why did we fast and you did not see? We afflicted ourselves. We gave up what we liked, what we needed, and you took no note. Like other acts of worship, fasting 
if our fasting is not accompanied by us being the people of God, building the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, setting the downtrodden free, bringing the wretched poor into our houses, then when we fast, I think Isaiah might say, all we're really doing is just going without food. Here is true fasting, says Isaiah. Is not this the fast that I choose? To unlock the shackles of wickedness and loosen the bonds of the yoke, to set the downtrodden free and to break every yoke. Yes, to offer your bread to the hungry and bring the wretched poor into your house. When you see someone naked, you should clothe him and your own flesh do not ignore. This is the fast that God chooses. God says, this is fasting. Do these things. That's fasting. God says, you want me to, you want me to provide you paint for your house? But who are you inviting into your home? Is there anything more to your prayer than self-indulgence, than just getting the color of the shutters just the shade you want them to be, getting your life arranged in just a way that's beneficial to you for your mental health, for your physical health? You want to unplug, unplug and become more present, more aware, more mindful? But why? Is there anything to this media fast other than what the spirit of the age can already do for us? Like, we've already got enough conventional wisdom. There's a lot of literature. There's a Surgeon General's warning telling us about the dangers of screen time and social media. We've all seen the social dilemma. In the eyes of the prophet, the ability to just be present for the sake of being present. It's like me at 18 with my beautiful brand new guitar. It was so beautiful, I just wanted to leave it in the case and look at it. <laughs> Our fast has to be about more than us. As Derek would tell you, it has to forever center on God, which means that we have to have more in mind than just the benefits to our own mental and physical health. Not that I don't care about you being able to become more present, you being able to pay more attention, you getting over your addiction to TikTok or whatever it is. Not that I don't care about that. But the fact is, the fast that Isaiah is talking about, God wants to set the downtrodden free. That word downtrodden, it's based on the image of a bruise, a black and blue bruise. It is somebody who has been smashed down and they are turning black and blue. And I will ask you, do we not know, do you not know anyone on campus who we'd say seems like they've been bruised? Seems like they've been smashed down by the, either the life that they've been handed or the life that they have chosen? The fast that God wants loosens the bond of the yoke. Picture a big, heavy, wooden yoke and the animal that labors under it. Do we not know anyone who we'd say is walking around with their knees buckling under the weight, under the yoke of anxiety or self-loathing or fear? The fast that God wants invites the wretched poor into our houses. The word wretched there, it has something in mind, actually, I think Alter kind of got the translation wrong here. I don't normally say that. But it's something more like wandering or homeless or aimless, someone walking about without a place to ever land on. And do we not know anyone that we would call wandering or detached or untethered from either God or community or self? We know them. We are them. 
They are all around us here. This is what God wants to go along with our fasting. It's not uncommon. These are not just biblical words for a biblical time. They're about here and now. We've just got to take our eyes off of ourselves and try to see the way the prophet sees. And do you know what happens then? When we make this our fasting, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing quickly spring up, and your righteousness shall march before you. The Lord's glory shall be your rear guard. Whose light? Whose light? Whose righteousness? Whose light breaks forth like the dawn? Whose righteousness marches before us? I had to read it three times. Whose light? Yours. Who is your? Who? You. Me. Us. I kept thinking, no, that can't be right. This has to be God's light. I don't have light. Definitely not a light that breaks forth like the dawn. I'm just a grunt. I'm just a sinner. I don't have any righteousness. My job is just to be saved. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need me to do anything, right? You have light? What are you talking about? Your light break forth like the dawn. But Isaiah says it right there. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, which also happens to sound a lot like something Jesus said once. You are the light of the world. You. Now Jesus also says, I am the light of the world. So which one is it? Does the dark world need our light, or does it need the light of God? Yes. Yes. God says, I need you there. I do need you there on campus, exercising justice and righteousness and mercy. You have something to be about. You have a thing to do, and it actually really matters, like it really does, and so of course it makes sense, and it hits like lightning when Isaiah then says, then shall you call, and the Lord shall answer, cry out, and he shall say, he made me. What? That seems backwards. He made me, the Lord says to us. No, 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 no. This is what Abraham and Moses and Samuel and Isaiah and we say to God, Hineni, whatever you're about, God, I'm here, fully present, fully attending to it. Whatever you're doing, I'm going to do all I can to help make that happen. But here it's like your light will break forth like the dawn and God will say, Hineni. To again briefly quote myself, forgive me, this time from just earlier this evening. When someone speaking Hebrew says, Hineni, what they're communicating is, I am all here. I am fully attendant to you. Whatever it is you need, whatever it is you want, I am fully present to it. Whatever it is you're doing, I am here to do what I can to make it happen. At your service, y'all. God doesn't expect us to do everything, but God is looking for partners. Partners. He is looking for people who are about what he is about, who are taking it seriously. And when he finds them, he says, here, look, me. 
I'm behind you in that. I'm with you. He says, whatever it is you're doing in my kingdom, I am here to do whatever I can to make it happen. The light that a dark world desperately needs is God's light and the light that he has given us. How will anyone see the light if all of our prayer and all of our fasting is just for our own benefit? But when we become about Jesus and his kingdom, he says, Hineni, your house paint is whatever. But when you stretched yourself in hospitality until your living room is out of space, until you run out of extra chairs to put around the table, then he says, Hineni. The number in your checking account is whatever. But when you have stretched your generosity to the point that you can truly say, not by bread alone, then he says, Hineni. The amount of time you spend off screens, it doesn't mean much. But when you have stretched yourself in kindness to the point that your prayer life can hardly fit one more need from another person that you love, then he says, Hineni, here, look, me, I'm with you. And so now, May we go together with God. And may we perform the fast that he chooses. And may we say, here, look, me. And may we hear him say, here, look, me. Let's pray. Lord, we're so scared of becoming ego-obsessed maniacs who think that we can do it all, that we tell ourselves we can't do anything. We tell ourselves that nothing we do matters or is of any account. Help us to hear the word of the Lord. Help us to, in all humility and confidence and trust, go do the things that you're telling us to do. If you're for us, if you are with us, if you are saying hineni to us, who can stop us? Help us to get out of our lazy self-obsession. I do hope that the fast is good for us, and I really hope that it is good for the world around us. Our Lord, we give it to your hands. Amen.